0: This message was preached as Pulpit Supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, we need a vision of a big God. We need to see God for who He is. We need to see God high and lifted up on His throne, ruling and reigning over all of creation. When we face the loss of a loved one, we need a big God. When we face financial instability and uncertainty about where, how is God going to provide for things, we need a big vision of God when we're struggling with some temptation, when we're fighting and we seem to be losing a battle, we need a big God who is able to set us free. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, had a vision of a big God. Isaiah's time was troubled. You see... It begins with the fact that the king had just died. Now, that may seem like just a little bit of historical information, but the fact is the king had been king for 50 years. King Uzziah had been king for probably as long as most people had been alive. Many people had probably didn't even know any other king besides Uzziah. And it was a time of political stability. It was a time of peace and prosperity. And now the king had died. And they're wondering, what is going to happen? And God gave him a vision of Himself. In His majesty, in His bigness, in His glory, seated on a throne, ruling and reigning over everything. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And the foundation, then one of the the seraphim, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the house is without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned up again, like a terebinth tree or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that you are big and glorious and great. And Lord, that you have condescended to to make yourself small when coming as an infant and living among us. Lord, that you have condescended to speak to us. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. And eyes to see. That we would not be like the people that Isaiah preached to. But Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts. That we would see you. And Father, I pray that you would be with me and give me grace as I preach your word. Give me strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the year that King... Uzziah died. He was the king. He had been king for 50 years. There was peace. There was prosperity. And yet Uzziah, well, what was he king of? He was the king of Judah. The king of Judah. Let's back up a little bit and and think about our story of the Bible. We've got Israel and Judah. Well, how did it get to be those two kingdoms? You think back to David... David had been a king over both Israel and Judah, and his son Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he also was king over Israel and Judah, and then his son Rehoboam. And when he became king, he was foolish, and the kingdom split in two. You had Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. And in Israel, they had all kinds of different kings. Most of them were bad. You've got Ahab, and Jezebel, and... All of those. But in the south, you still had a Davidic king. You still had someone from David's line. God had promised David that He would have a son who would sit on His throne forever. There would be no end to the kingdom and the house of David. And so you have this progression of sons down in the line of David, and then you come to Uzziah. And not only had this king been a prosperous kingdom, not only had it been political stability, but this was also the line of David. This is the line that the Messiah was to come through. And the king had died. What did Isaiah need when the king had died? I saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. He saw the greatness and the majesty of God Himself. And it says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. The king was dead. But the Lord was on the throne. The Lord was still king. The Lord was still on the throne when the human king had died, when the son of David had died. The Lord was on the throne, and he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What does that mean? We don't don't talk like that. The train of his robe, well, just the corner of his robe, just the, the, the hem down at the very bottom, just the corner of his robe filled the whole temple. He was so big and so mighty, just the tiny little bit of his garment filled the whole temple. And it says, above Him stood seraphim. What were these seraphim? They were angelic beings. From the term seraph, it's the idea of burning, flaming, burning. These flaming angelic beings, bright, shining, were above the Lord on either side, and each one had six wings. What was he doing with these wings? With two he covered his face because God was so big and so glorious and so holy that even the angel couldn't bear to look at God. So he had to cover his face. They had to cover their faces. And with two he covered his feet. You remember when Moses was meeting God on the mountain? And the Lord told him, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Even the angels couldn't bear to stand in the Lord's presence. They had to cover their feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What is this holiness? We think of holiness in a couple of different ways. One way we think of holiness as a moral purity. Perfectly good. But also there's a sense of, of separateness being set apart. And with God, He is so different from us. So, so he, is, he, is, he doesn't need anything. He has no needs. He just exists from all eternity. His greatness and in His glory, and He is holy. And in the Hebrew language, if you want to emphasize something, you say it three times. You repeat it three times. So Isaiah is saying these angels were were saying God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. is the lord of hosts. He is the lord of hosts. What is that 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 hosts term? We we sing it when we sing a mighty fortress is our god. When we get, get to that word, Lord Sabaoth, His name, that's not talking about the Sabbath, that's talking about the Lord of, the, of hosts. It's talking about the Lord of armies. He has all the armies of heaven ready at His disposal to do whatever He goes and commands them to do. This King who is big, who is glorious, who is sitting on the throne, has all the armies of heaven to go and to help you in your time of need. The whole earth is full of His glory. The temple just has a tiny little corner of His robe, and yet the whole earth is filled with His glory. His glory. What is His glory? The word there for glory it has the idea of weightiness. It's heavy. And when you come face to face with the Lord Almighty in His glory, you will be bowled over by how heavy and how weighty He is. We want to be, we want to see Jesus. We want to see the Lord. Be ready to be bowled over. It is not something to be taken lightly to come into the presence of the Lord, it is not something to be trivialized. If you want to really come into the presence of the Lord, be ready for it to almost crush you. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. Well, who was it that was calling? It wasn't even the Lord that was calling, it was the angel. And the angel was so loud and so big that whenever he called out to the other angel that the foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook. Just imagine if God was the one who was speaking. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, whenever he stands in the presence of the Lord, that's how we would fare if we, sit, if we stand in the presence of the Lord. We would say, "Woe is me! I can't stand here. I can't be here. Woe is me!" For I am. This translation says "lost." Some say "undone." I think the idea here has to be is loosened. Basically, just come apart. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When Isaiah had a vision of a big and glorious God, what did he see first? He saw his own sin. He saw his own sin. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Let's look at those two things. He, first, he looked at himself. He didn't say, man, I, just, I live among a people of unclean lips. No, he first looked at himself. When we come before God, we're not going to be concerned about everybody else first. We're going to be concerned about ourselves. I am a man of unclean lips. He says, I've got a filthy mouth. I can't speak in the presence of a holy God. And he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm no better than anybody else, Isaiah thinks. I'm just like everybody around me. For my eyes have seen the King. There it is again. He was sitting on the, on the throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, the Lord was sitting on the throne and Isaiah sees who? He sees the King. He sees the King, the Lord of hosts. Then, this is what happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. This big, bright, flaming, shining angel with six wings flies to Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. What is this altar? this vision that Isaiah has in the midst of the temple with the Lord sitting on the throne, the altar is there to represent the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system where the priest would take an animal, a bull or a goat or some kind of animal and and sacrifice it year after year after year to take away the sin of the people. Of course, we know, even David wrote about it, that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. This altar that was there in the temple in this vision that Isaiah had represents this sacrificial system, but the sacrificial system was always there to point forward to Jesus Christ. It was always there to point forward to the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. It was always there to point forward to Jesus Christ who would be our substitute, who would be the One who would give His life for us. And this seraphim flies, takes a tongue from the altar with a burning coal on it and touches Isaiah's lips. I think representing the fact that in order for Isaiah to be able to stand in the presence of God, he had to have his sin atoned for from the altar. And it wasn't just some lamb or bull, but it represented the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And after this had happened, after the angel had touched his lips with it, he spoke to him. He preached the gospel to him. This angel said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for when we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, we need to be constantly reminded of the fact that our sin is taken away. Amen. Our guilt is atoned for. We need to have fellowship with one another so that we continue to remind one another every day that our sin is taken away, and our guilt is atoned for. And then Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, here am I, send me What came after uh, the Lord cleansed Isaiah from his sin? The Lord called Isaiah into His service. After cleansing comes calling. If Jesus Christ has taken away your sin by the blood of His eternal covenant, then you are called on a mission, just like Isaiah. After cleansing comes calling. And let's make sure we keep the order straight. Cleansing is necessary first. When the Lord came to Isaiah in this vision, at first Isaiah recognized, I can't do this! My lips are dirty! And then the Lord came and cleansed him before He sent him out on the mission. Some people may feel like, well, going into the ministry and serving in church is just a, a good thing because it's a good deed. And, but if it's apart from doing so because of faith in Jesus Christ, it's just another work that will never measure up to be able to save you. Amen. It's just another work. You cannot cleanse yourself by your works. You can only be cleansed by the atonement of Jesus Christ. Then the Lord tells him what to say. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not perceive. Keep on seeing. Oh, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. That's got to be encouraging for Isaiah. It's not what we would think. We would think God would be telling Isaiah, go and preach the Gospel to these people so that they'll be saved. And no, He says, go and proclaim and their eyes are going to be blinded. They're, They're going to hear you, but they won't hear you. Jesus quotes this over and over and over again in the Gospels. I've been preaching through John just like Bill has been preaching through John. and Jesus keeps coming back to this. Their eyes were blinded. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. That's exactly the kind of ministry that Jesus had. He taught. He did these miracles. And though He did these miracles, raised people from the dead right in front of them and they didn't believe. A couple of things I want to notice about this for our own ministries. Uh, the Lord told Isaiah, go and say to this people, and then He gave him the content of what to say. Isaiah, as the preacher, was not given just permission to just go out and say anything. And we, as proclaimers of the Gospel, we're not given permission to just go and say Anything. To just be emotionally manipulative or trying to twist people's arms or, or just anything like that. No, we have been given exactly what to say in this Word. Preaching should be expository preaching. Because expository preaching takes the Bible and says, this is what the Bible says, do it. And lots of kinds of preaching can just have the preacher come up with an idea of, well, this is what I think I should say this week. And then he'll search around the Bible to find a place to say it. But here, the Lord tells Isaiah exactly what to preach. And also, Isaiah was responsible for faithfulness, not results. Uh, the Lord told him, Go and say this, and nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to believe you. It's, it's just going to fall on deaf ears for as long as you're preaching. If you are faithful in proclaiming the message, I'm not going to say results don't matter, but results don't matter ultimately. God will do what He wants to do with His Word. If we're faithful, we may not see the numbers that other people might see through that emotional manipulation and things like that, but we will see lasting results. People's hearts that are really changed by being faithful to God's Word. And then I said, verse 11, how long, O Lord? Isaiah, you know, he gets the picture here. Nobody's going to listen. You've sent me to preach to these people and nobody's going to listen. How long do I need to do this before I sign up? And the answer is not very comforting. He says, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. That's bad. (laughs) He's going to keep preaching and preaching and preaching, and things are going to get worse, and people are going to be taken away into exile, and and all kinds of things, so that the land will be empty. And then, if that's not bad enough, look at the next verse. And though a tenth remain in it after all of that, it'll be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. It's going to get bad, Isaiah, and it's going to get worse. But then, the last line the holy seed is its stump. What is this holy seed? What is this holy seed? Remember, this is the line of Judah. This is Uzziah was in the line of Judah, in the line of David. He was, there was supposed to be a king on the throne of David forever and ever and ever with no end. And Isaiah is prophesying that it's going to be bad, it's going to get worse, and the people are going to be taken away into exile, and there's going to be nobody left. And the question then is raised, how is God going to be faithful to His promise? How is God going to be faithful to His promise to David that He would always have a son on His throne if we're just going to get taken into exile? And the Lord tells Isaiah, the holy seed is its stump." from Isaiah, from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when we see the very first sin in the garden and the Lord tells Eve when this curse on the serpent he says I will put enmity between your seed and her seed but he will I will I can't remember it off my my head he will crush his head but he will bruise his heel. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I think I hope if you don't know Genesis 3:15, look it up. But anyway, there's a promise that one day there would be a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve who would come and crush the serpent's head. Amen. And Abraham had that same promise where he would have a son, a seed who would bless all nations. And this promise is carried forward to David who would have a son who would sit on a throne forever and ever. So while the people are asking, if you're going to send us into exile, how are we possibly going to have God's promises fulfilled to us? And the Lord answers, that stump, whenever everything else is cut off, the holy seed is in the stump. The root of Jesse the branch of David, Jesus Christ. So after the exile, when the people are brought back in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, they rebuild the walls, they they rebuild houses, and they settle in the land again. And a few hundred years later, in Bethlehem, a baby is born who is the son of David. God will keep His promises. When it looks bad, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, the Lord will be faithful to His promises. The Lord will be faithful to His promises. He is big. He is glorious. We need to see how big and glorious He is. We need to see that He is faithful. That He is King, ruling over everything. And no matter how bad our lives seem at the time, He is working out a plan to keep His promises for the sake of His own name and His own glory.